opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jeff Tom. I am a member of the Burrell Collie Leadership Institute team, co-chaired by Donna Brown and Julie Brannon. And today we are presenting to you our August presentation. Uh, the next one will be the second Thursday of September, which is on the 8th at the same time. So today I have with me um, hopefully two panelists. We have one at the moment. We hope to get our second one. Um, Sheila Young, who's president of the Florida Council of the Blind and is all over the place in the community. And our topic for today is going to be concerning hybrid conventions. First, uh, I'll be doing the lightweight part of it. I'll be talking about why should we have hybrid conventions for our state affiliates. And then I'm going to turn it over to the panelists, uh, over to Sheila to do the heavy lifting on um, the pitfalls of having hybrid conventions and how we can address them to make a hybrid convention the best experience possible for everyone. So, um, I'll start and I'll introduce Sheila in just a moment. So why should we have hybrid conventions? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at both sides of the convention for a state affiliate. So let's first look at why have the um, remote portion of it. So there are several reasons and they all ultimately uh, concern the fact that you're going to have people attending that convention remotely that you will not get uh, if you hold it as just an in-person convention. Some won't attend because of health concerns and not just concerns due to the current pandemic that we're all facing, but also because some people are in fragile health and it's difficult for them to travel, to get around hotels, to you know, engage in all those activities that you know they need to undertake in order to make in order to have a truly fine in-person convention experience. Others, uh, frankly, will, will not have sufficient income to travel. Um, you know, there are those rare state affiliates that can help subsidize conventioners' attendance personally, but um, e even in those states that can do that, you know, subsidies can only go so far. And, you know, frankly, it's getting more and more expensive to attend, you know, not only the national convention, but state affiliate conventions, which is obviously what we're concerned with today. So especially if you have a big state and you have to go all the way across the state, travel can be pretty expensive. Notwithstanding, and of course that that isn't including all the hotel and food and other related costs that you know we all have to incur in going to a state affiliate convention. So there's those reasons, and there's other reasons as well. Um, some people may not be able to make it because of work um, constraints. Even for short conventions, some people. Uh, have work. Some people have um, child care that they have to deal with. Um, there are a host of reasons why people can't attend in-person conventions. And some, frankly, um, do not prefer to expend their time and dollars in traveling to conventions. They prefer to spend the, the income that they might have for leisure time in other ways. So it is, there's no question about it that, you know, an ACB state affiliate is going to be able to potentially reach a broader cross section of individuals if they have part of their convention remotely. So now that we've said all these great things about having a remote convention, why have the in-person part of it? Well, 
I think the most important reason is illustrated by the fact that during the pandemic, while special interest affiliates have, in many cases, grown, state affiliates have, for the most part, suffered somewhat, um, some more than others. But, you know, as you can see, when you listen to the number of delegate votes that affiliates have, uh, let alone, you know, even if you don't know the absolute membership numbers, um, state affiliates have lost members more often than not during the pandemic. It is harder to get people to attend, you know, another Zoom call, to write the dues checks, to engage in all those things that make local and state chapters thrive um, when they don't meet in person. Um, and more than that, in-person conventions provide networking opportunities. They provide um, momentum for, you know, getting people together and getting sort of, you know, into the, the, the advocacy realm. You know, a little bit of hoopla can go a long way and you don't get the same amount of it um, remotely as you do when you're meeting together and chatting and renewing acquaintances and making new friends. You know, there, there's just something to meeting in person that um, you, you can't totally have. As you all know, I'm, I'm only speaking to you, know, to you about what you all know. Um, you can't have everything to the same degree remotely that you can in person. So with that, because I think I want the, the uh, most of the time to be um, allocated to how to handle these conventions and, and what are the pitfalls you need to address. I'm going to turn it over. And, and we do have Rick right now. Did we get Rick? Yes. So we have our two panelists. We have Sheila Young, um, president of the Florida Council of the Blind. And we have the inimitable Rick Morin, who's our ACB media coordinator and who uh, I don't think ever sleeps. Um, and so we're very glad to have both of them. And so I am going to ask, uh, I'll let uh, the lady go first. I'll be a nice guy today. And um, although she might not want to go first, um, but I'm going <laughs> to ask Sheila to go first and talk about what you see. Um, her state has had a, uh, I've got her laughing anyway, that's good. Uh, her state has held a hybrid convention. And I'm going to have her talk to us a little bit about the concerns she has with them and how um, she feels they can be addressed. So, Sheila, take it away. Well, thank you, Jeff, and thank you for this topic. I think that this could benefit all of our affiliates in many ways. Um, Florida was the first to do a virtual when COVID hit, and Florida was the first to do a hybrid. And let me tell you, it was pretty scary if it had not been for the infamous Rick Morin and ACB Media, we would not have been as successful as we were either time when we did the virtual because we were all scared. We didn't know what to do when COVID hit. We were two months, let's see, March, April, May, we were two and a half, yeah, about two months out from our convention. And we had our convention in person planned, you know? So we had to do 180 out. And then hybrid, we had already been two years in the virtual world. And we did the first hybrid in 21. We knew that because we had done the virtual, our membership wasn't going to tolerate us not allowing some of our members to participate virtually, even though we had members that wanted to be in person. So we had to think outside the box and figure out what to do. And I don't know, Rick was our resource. Rick was our brain and told us how 
to do it. But I will tell you, my attitude is members first, and we're going to do whatever we can do to involve our membership. So, Rick, walk us through how we started. <laughs> well, Sheila, you're very kind. Thank you for those kind words. And and Jeff did, did get it right. You are a lady. So, Well, thank you. <laughs> ladies first. So. Anyways, well, hey, thanks, um, Jeff and uh, and Sheila, for inviting me uh, to this. Um, you know, the the hybrid journey has been kind of an interesting one. Um, as everybody knows, our national convention this year was hybrid, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what um, Sheila is quite right. I mean, uh, Florida really was our first foray into a hybrid, although we had done, um, we had had a couple experiences with hybrid stuff, uh, kind of, sort of, at previous in-person conventions. Um, the Voices um, luncheon a couple years in a row had international speakers who were off-site. And we had actually, at those events, um, two years prior to what we had officially called a hybrid, we had actually um, used the same technical configuration that we ended up using um, for the Florida convention. We used it at those voices meetings uh, very successfully. So let, let me define what a hybrid is first, um, because I there's a, there's a lot of confusion about what a hybrid is. And I think there's one element to a hybrid that, makes it particularly unique um, and that is a true hybrid allows you to have people that are there at a physical location and people that are at virtual locations interact with one another so the physical people are talking to the virtual people as if they're in the same room and the experience for the virtual people you know is pretty much you know the, the experience for the virtual people is is like any other uh, virtual experience. You know, they're fully immersed in it from a virtual standpoint. And the people that are there in person, um, you know, are are just right there, uh, f you know, with, with you on the virtual side. So the, um, you know, a little bit of magic, and it's not a whole lot of magic, but it, it's, it's a little bit... Um, it, 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 it's a little bit tricky if, if you're doing this for the first time, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to get real technical, but I mean, there's, there's two sides to, to doing any zoom meeting. And, um, if I just referred to national conventions and even in Florida this year, we had an audio piece and we had a video piece this year, a hybrid can be audio only and or audio and video you could have some portions video you know audio though is the the common thread through everything and the thing that we strive for in the in the hybrids that we do is to make the audio as absolutely pristine as possible um, and we're able to accomplish that um, fairly inexpensively when you really boil it all down um, by using um, you know, technology that's on site that, that incorporates uh, wireless microphones or microphones. Um, you know, obviously, you know, one of the one of the things that you have to maintain a discipline on is making sure that people speak into microphones. There's always a tendency when people are together, especially when they're together in small groups, there's a tendency not to want to talk into the microphone because the person you're talking to is right next door. But if you're in any kind of a hybrid or virtual scenario, you have to always remember to talk into the microphone because it's the microphone that's the gateway into Zoom. And um, that Zoom interface, uh, you know, that the mixer in the room, there is a microphone that goes into a mixer, which goes into a magic box that 
you know, I'll just call a USB interface box, which connects to a computer and that connects to the Zoom meeting. And on the Zoom meeting side where there's information flowing back and forth, right? There's, you know, the Zoom people are heard in the room and the people in the room are heard on Zoom. And there are some technical things that you got to do to make sure that that all works without a lot of feedback. And, and you know, if anybody has any audio experience, you probably know the, the concept of mix minus and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we've done it now. Um, you know, Florida was our, our first really big, big success with hybrid. And the first hybrid we did with Florida was, was audio only. Um, we had the privilege of working with Florida again, again, this year, um, uh, where we added the video dimension to it as well. Um, uh, I make no secret about the fact that I am low vision. So I am a huge advocate for video. Um, and, um, ACB media, if I can plug ACB media a little bit, which I'm the technical manager of ACB media, since the, um, pandemic has started, we've, uh, offered services to all affiliates, uh, both, uh, state and special interest affiliates who are interested in doing virtual events. Um, we, um, you know, have been hosting those um, for all practical purposes at ACB expense um, up to a point, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but we're, um, you know, we we you know have done a lot of these. We we know what works. Uh, we have experience with some things that don't work. Um, the uh, the breadth of our services that we offer include just pure consulting where if you want to uh you know just tap our brains for um you know how we do things and um you know we'll be happy to share that uh i've had some instances recently where people have asked me to do that and <laughs> And they had already made up their mind that the way I did it was the wrong way to do it. So whatever, at the end of the day, the, you know, it's, it's your convention. Um, ACB media is happy to work with you, happy to consult, happy to provide technical services, happy to do all of that. But at the end of the day, in terms of how the convention is conducted and all the decisions around what you ultimately do, that's, that's yours to do. There's nothing that, that happens at the, at the national level that we mandate. Um, so, so Rick, let me just ask one thing. Sure, John. Um, uh, viewed from a state affiliates um, standpoint, is it not the case then that there is likely going to be some expense that they're going to have to incur um, in terms of having the technology uh, the microphones, the, the whole setup um, at the hotel or lodge or wherever they hold it um, in order to essentially work with uh, ACB media on the convention. And, and, this, and it's possible that these expenses may be ones that they haven't had to incur before. Would that that be can fair? I answer that? <laughs> Go well, right ahead. That's yeah. why I brought it up. I can tell you that, yes. Absolutely. But I will tell you that the expense, the benefits outweigh the expense. In my thought, as far as a state affiliate president, because our members that would not be able to attend conventions and have never been able to attend conventions have done it for three years in a row now because we taken the time and effort and expense to make sure that we could include them. And it's all about inclusion. And yes, it does cost. It's not cheap. But you can get sponsorships to sponsor your convention. You can get individual sponsorships. Your exhibitors will sponsor. And when it's all said and done, 
your affiliate will benefit because your members feel like they were included. So I'm sorry, Rick, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you know, I know. Oh, that was great, Sheila. You know, that was great. And, and, um, you know, totally agree. And that's the universal experience that I think everybody is happening. I just a couple of comments about what you just said. What, what's, what's interesting with the national convention as an example. And I think this may be true for some, for, for some affiliates, um, maybe not so much state affiliates, because I mean, state affiliates are very akin, are very used to, um, you know, proximity. Uh, there's usually pockets of people in the, in a relatively close location, like in Massachusetts, you know, we're, we're very, very Boston centric, right? So even though we've got a big state, things are very Boston centric. We tend to have our events in Boston and they tend to draw, you know, a, a lot of people because they're all in one place. There are other states that are more dispersed. This year's national convention was interesting because we've, you know, one of the things we've always struggled with, with conventions in the past has been, you know, the notion that, the people that didn't have the uh, financial means to attend the convention would be disenfranchised. Right. And, and, you know, there, there was talk, um, quite a lot of chatter that happened, you know, at various levels about, you know, does this cause ACB to be an elitist organization Is ACB run by, you know, a group of people that have money and, and, and uh, you don't have to work, um, you know, they're retired and all this, you know, just the whole concept of elitist. And, and I think some of those, um, some of those concerns had, you know, some amount of validity to them. Um, the, this year's convention, uh, if we look at now, now COVID was still very much a factor this year. And there were a lot of reasons why people did not attend the national convention. And one of the things that I would like to make a, uh, an ask to everybody on this call is that if you have not filled out this year's convention survey, I would kindly ask that you do. Um, you may have noticed that the questions are formatted in such a way where they're dealing with what I call elephant in the room issues. Um, and we're trying to get some good data uh, about you know, some, some major decisions that we have to make in terms of how we do the national convention in the future. So I would kindly ask you to fill that out. And I would only say, Rick, that um, that data is going to also be helpful to state affiliates in terms of trying to get an, an idea as to what their members are concerned with, what they enjoy, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, no, you, absolutely. you shouldn't just think that this this is data is only of help uh, in terms of the national convention yeah and, and, that, and that's a very good point uh, jeff and if i'm you know implied that then i i didn't mean to one of the, one of the uh, the demographics that we collect as a matter of that survey or is the you know the the state of residence of the person the 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 convent the uh, participation is is pure voluntary there's not even a way where you can identify yourself if you wanted to in those surveys but but we do um you know when there's large pockets of people in certain areas that data is a pretty good representation specifically for a given state but it also some of the some of the things that that you know happen are um are, are very definitely applicable across the board there there we see we are seeing though um, a pretty good uh, difference in behavior between state affiliates and special interest affiliates and i think jeff talked on that a little bit before but um the the paradigm shift in in this year's national convention is that the vast majority of people that attended this year's national convention were attending virtually like by a factor of um, two to one, um, you know, we had a we had a, something like twelve hundred people registered. We had four hundred people that were you know registered on site. So due to math, I think that is two to one, something like that. Um, um, and um, and and what was really cool is that the people that were participating virtually were really, really, really engaged. Um, if you listen to the general sessions and the debates that happened on resolutions and, and, and that kind of stuff, um, you know, a, I don't know if it was the majority, but 
ton of it was coming from from the virtual side and almost to the point where some of the people that were there in person were were a little upset because you know in the old days all you had to do is walk into a microphone and you know yell the loudest and you always got recognized on the floor uh, we were being a little bit more deliberate this year in terms of of trying to offer everybody an opportunity so it wasn't quite as you know free flowing as it's been in the past let's say and, th and there were definitely some issues around debates and that type of thing that 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 we know need to be addressed and need to be fixed and there'll be there'll be differences in the future but but uh, you know it's it's kind of a re of a reverse paradigm shift and so you you raised uh when perhaps without meaning to but you've raised another issue um that i want to explore um, and I'll maybe let Sheila talk uh, to this question, and I, I think I will too. Um, but the question arises now, now that we've let the genie out of the bottle, and, and not only on the national level, but more and more states are, are going to go to hybrid conventions. I think that is safe to say. We don't know how many, um, and some states won't, but, but many will. Um, how do we incentivize people to attend state conventions? Because we, as we know, those who have negotiated and been involved in convention planning at the state level, um, you have to have a minimum number of rooms sometimes. Other times you have to meet food and beverage minimums. So, you know, there are financial elements that, that come into play when planning the in-person portion of a convention that can seriously impact your affiliate if you don't meet them, depending upon you know the, where you go and, and what type of convention you have. But um, Sheila, what do you what is your thought in terms of incentivizing people to attend the in-person portion of the convention? Well. I don't think you can, uh, you know, not now, not, I mean, we do our best. Our Thursday night activity is not streamed. It's not on ACB media. So we try to make that as interesting as we can. Our hospitality room after the banquets isn't streamed. So, you know, we try to entice people to come to the hospitality room after the evening's over and socialize and visit with each other. <laughs> but unfortunately, because we're never going to go back, we're never going to go to just in person. And because we do charge a registration and everybody that registers, whether you are in person or virtual, um, you're eligible for a door price. So you really can't do it. You just have to negotiate a good contract with the hotels. And you're right, Jeff, it is not easy to do anymore. And it means your hotel room expense is going to go up or your affiliate is going to have to bite the bullet and put money into the convention and just lose money. And, you know, what? what's more important? Is the hybrid to include everybody so that nobody feels like they're being left out? Or do you raise your registration fee? You know, those are things that the convention committee and your affiliate, your, your executive committee and the board's got to make a decision. But FCB Florida, as far as I'm concerned, is never going to go back to in-person only. We're just going to have to figure out how to work around it. And, and thank God for our sponsorships. You know, our sponsorships are, are a godsend because they help fund a lot of our costs. From so. what I understand, those hospitality suites, you know. The, <laughs> they're a little <laughs> fun. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, things that flow in those hospitality suites that are kind of hard to do that virtually. So you know. <laughs> Yeah, you can't so do that. So we are trying to do some incentivizing in California for our next convention, which will be our first a hybrid one in 2023 in the end of March, first uh, of April. Uh, we are trying to give, for example, a, a small 
room night subsidy and also a little bit of a subsidy for people who order um, a certain number of plated meals. Um, you know, so that because we do recognize that those folks are spending an awful lot more money mm -hmm. going to this convention. And so we don't know yet how much these incentives will help. Um, but we want to give it a try because we really want to encourage um, a, a turnout um, in person. But and that's a great you, idea. I, yeah, you know, so that's, that's something I'm going to have to take back to my convention committee. <laughs> yeah. So we're, 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 we're looking at it and we're yeah. doing it and we'll see what, we'll see whether, what people think about it yeah, and, was, and whether it's helpful. If I can jump in here, guys, it was interesting. You know, I, when I started doing research on hybrid just to see what, what the industry was doing. One of the first articles I wrote talked about a hybrid really being two events. It's an in-person event and it's a online event. And the hybrid piece are where those two things intersect, but you ought to really be looking too at what elements of the of the in-person are unique and will attract people to the in-person piece. Uh -huh. And and you can also program things that only make sense for a virtual environment. And then there's stuff that obviously intersects. You know, we, we tend to... Um, uh, you know, we were talking about this in one of our postmortems. I mean, we, you know, we've been thinking when we think inclusion, we we're trying to make everything available to everybody. But I, I, I think if we view it as two events, we may look at it a little bit differently. Now, national convention just naturally has got some things that that are special appeals that you cannot do hybrid. One being the exhibit hall, and you know, a lot of people get a lot of value out of talking to vendors and getting hands-on with equipment and, uh -huh. and really all that interaction. And, um, you know, one of the questions in this year's survey is, you know, how important was that in your decision to attend convention? And the other one that, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of people that go to convention, you know, for the social interaction and stuff and tours is a big draw for national. So, so those things are, you know, a very unique, um, where, uh, we're trying to look at it now from a programming side too. I mean, can we program things that only make sense, you know, in person? Um, and, and, you know, there could be, you know, things that, you know, only make sense virtually. Um, right. So. Um, well, my one Florida convention, for example, where I met Sheila for the first time. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. That was a long time ago. Had, it's a while ago. Um, they had a mystery theater dinner, which I loved. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that we're going to need to really think about to bring more folks out to attend in person. We, we're going to have to get creative, mm -hmm. um, I, I think, um, in order to ensure that we have um, people there uh, both both for financial reasons and because you just, as I said earlier, you can't replace meeting in person and getting people excited and, you know, committed. And, and there's just things that um, as much as you can do virtually, there's just things that are, are very important to, to meet once in a while up close and personal and get to know the people. Well, and yet, you know, it, it's like I, I was in Omaha and I met people that I've been talking to for two years in person. Including me. Was, Including yeah, me. I actually, I've been working with Rick for, <laughs> for three years and I walked up to him and I went, Mr. Morin? And he went, yes, sir. I went, <laughs> Yeah, and you were barely talking to me for the rest of the convention. After. I, I had to buy you dinner to win you back over on my side. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. <laughs> but but uh, you know, but don't worry, Jeff. I'll make good on that. We're still gonna so. but but Jeff, you know, Jeff, you make a good point, but I have to tell you that your convention committee is only as good as your membership. And our membership needs to tell us what would bring you to convention. You know, we know you want to sit at home. Hey, I'd like to sit at home and, and not have to worry about it. 
but I would miss not going. But, you know, what would make you come? What would interest you enough to bring you to the hotel to take part physically in the convention? And, you know, our membership needs to tell us that. And I think the membership gets so complacent that they just go, whatever the convention committee wants to do. And that's not what that's not what we feel. We need to know what you want. And if you don't want to tell us, then we're just going to have to go with what we think you might want. So it's it's a it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, well, we may need to do more and and the state level more surveying of our members to get those answers because things are obviously changing mm -hmm. um, from year to year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we know, for example, in the way the national convention is being run, that next year is probably going to be a little different than this year. Mm -hmm. The year after that will be different than next year. And the same. Yeah. So state affiliates have to also realize uh, that, um, you know, what was that saying? If you don't embrace change, it's it'll. If, if you don't embrace change, it'll roll over you or something. I'm I'm care. I'm I'm not phrasing it correctly, but that's, yeah, that's the a cleaner. Of, that's a cleaner version than what I use. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to deal with change in a proactive manner. Right. And you don't. So, it'll bite you in the ass. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, and you have to be willing to grow and you've got to be willing to think outside the box and uh, you can't just get stagnant. You you've got to you got to constantly try to think and and do and it's not easy. And that's so why I want to open need. it to questions. Yeah, oh, sorry, that sorry. sounds odd. No, just, you know, we need a, input. Yeah, a couple more. Any last to, thoughts before I do open it up for me? Yeah, a couple more points that I think is important in terms of attracting people to the convention. Location and ease of getting there are two very, very important things. Amen. And, and um, Omaha was not the easiest. You know, it, it, it ended up that when Omaha was booked, it was pre-pandemic, and there were a lot more options on how to get there. But I'm not sure Omaha would have been a big draw under any circumstance, quite frankly. Um, mm -mm. Chicago is going to be a big draw based on proximity, but part of the, or based on where it is and ease to get to, but then you've got the, you know, the financial aspects of that where it's a more expensive place to have a convention and all that kind of stuff. But, but something that I think, you know, uh, some affiliates have done in the past and I haven't heard it done too much recently is to help arrange transportation for people i mean if you're in a state where you know buses or something could transport people from one end of the state to the other i mean it may be worth looking at some of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um yeah but, we used to do that we haven't done it in a number of years but yeah, california used and, to have that and you know the um the sponsorship i think is key sponsorships are really key because it allows you to do stuff. I mean, when you get sponsorship money, it, 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 you know, you shouldn't be looking at it from a standpoint of, um, of, you know, we're just gonna, that's just going to go to the bottom line. No, you ought to really invest that into the convention mm -hmm. and, and, and allow you to do, to do some things. So, you know, the room subsidies are, are a great idea. Um, and, um, and a lot of affiliates, we used to do it in Massachusetts. We stopped doing it because, uh, it just uh, became too much of a burden. Um, and, and, and one thing that, you know, our affiliate never did well in Massachusetts was go out and really sponsor or really go out and foster nurture sponsorship. So that, that's very, you know, very, very important. I think Florida has done a, done a good job with that. And, uh, well, I, I have to give kudos to Leslie Spoon because she is our sponsorship person for the fundraising committee and, a lot of our sponsorship money goes to pay for our AV expense because our AV expense for our hybrid uh, video convention this year was 6000 8000 I don't remember, 9000 <laughs> Rick knows better yeah, than I do. Ours is going to be expensive too, and that's what yeah. we're trying to do is go after yeah. sponsorships. Yeah. But yeah. let's open it up for questions. Thanks for all these great points. Travis, who do we have? All right. First, we have Paul Edwards. 
Oh no. Oh, yeah. oh, no. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh no. <laughs> he can't limit himself to Tuesday. He's got to yeah. be on Thursday. Paul Edwards, Tuesday topics. Tune in from seven to nine o'clock every week on Tuesday topics. I see media one. It it uh, we had a there we go. This last Tuesday topic was great. It was really great. But go ahead, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hello, everyone. I, I think I'm unmuted now. Yes. You are. Very good. Thanks. Um, so I wanted, wanted to make a, a couple of points that Sheila didn't make about the Florida Convention that I think were interesting. One of them is that this year we had no problem meeting any of our minimums. Um, in fact, in fact, we actually um, outdid the number of, of rooms that we had initially called for. Yep. Um, there, there were some differences in terms of in, in, in terms of the way our meal stuff went, um, in that oddly enough, our banquet wasn't nearly as popular as our awards dinner, which occurred the night before, um, which is which is kind of surprising. It's the first time that had happened. But uh, but I think there there was there was a lot of desire on the part of folks in Florida to come together. Um, I was an in-person attendee at both the Florida Convention and at the National Convention. I think there was a big difference between the Florida Convention and the National Convention in that I truly believe that the National Convention did virtually everything they could to discourage folks from attending. And I think that we need to look to try to build a better balance next year so that, so that we, we create some incentives for people to be there. All of the business meetings, which, which would normally take place at the convention, um, were set to take place outside of the convention and entirely virtually. A lot of actual presentations um, were handled virtually as well, both before and after. Um, a, a lot of our business in terms of resolutions was handled after the convention was over. And so a lot of the stuff that, um, that, that, that folks normally expect to be a part of their in-person attendance really wasn't part of it this year. And, and I'd make one other point about the, the, the debates and the in-person as opposed to other stuff. Well, I think it's, it's, it's fine to have um, equal access or even if you want based on the numbers of people who are there, two for every one. Um, uh, if, if we have two to one attendance um, electronically as opposed to in person, I think that's fine. But I think that um, I think that we need to do more of our business so that it is in person because I, I, I would put to you that that even though it may be difficult, if, if you are doing in person, um, opportunities. If 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 you get to a mic soon enough, you're likely to get an opportunity to speak. But it's a pure crapshoot as to whether you will if you're electronic, and it has nothing to do with what you do. You can put your you can put your hands up at the earliest possible moment, and and still have absolutely no likelihood of of being given an opportunity to speak. And maybe that's okay, um, but uh, I, I think we. Well, I think we need thirty seconds because we have another bunch of hands up. So I, yeah, I, I think I think we need to we need to try to work out some ways where where we can uh, create perhaps some some email ways of folks um, getting in touch with people. And I, I think we have to just completely redo the whole debate procedures. And thank you very much for letting me talk so long, Jeff. Yeah, and Paul, you. you'll, be, you'll be happy okay. to know a lot of that. A lot of those same points have been, are being discussed very, very strongly, um, you know, in a postmortem setting. So, agree. And it's so much fun to sit by Paul in a in an in person national convention. <laughs> Paul and state conventions are going to have to look at these make issues and decide what is going to be done before or after. The in-person part, so state conventions have these issues as well when they when they go hybrid. So, yep. okay, next hand. Next, we have a phone number nine one six ending in nine five seven. Hey, 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 hello, Travis. This is one of the streamers. This is Joe. Hey, Rick. Hey, hey Joe. Jeff and Sheila. <laughs> Sheila. Hello. <laughs> mm. 
I think we're we're kind of focused on and on the wrong issues because uh, the two to one ratio. I just think if if we took that away, the hybrid away, and all we had in person, I just think you would just have uh, those people just still wouldn't come. So, uh, and 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 as a former member, uh, as a former um, worker of the Marriott, our job was to was to was to try to sell our hotels. Well, that's what we need to do as well. If, if for those that could afford it. Uh, it's nothing like being in person, and 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 I'm sure the other, the others uh, that was virtually would prefer to be there if they could afford it, or if they didn't have uh, health issues, or so. So, I think maybe working on more sponsorships is a way to help, uh, and then of course we can always try to sell that part that it's nothing like being in person because it's really not it, I had I had such a blast and getting to meet you know a lot of you and except Jeff I see him all the time but everybody else <laughs> you still pretty cool. a few times. <laughs> oh, oh god I can't, I just can't get rid of him if anything <laughs> so if I would I, and, and and we'll be there of course It'll be in Sacramento. Of course, we'll, we'll be here. Uh, we'll be there at the state, our state convention as well. And I think, I do think that was a great idea to, to, you know, the way we, the way we uh, are doing it out here in California as well. So anyway, that's it. Great. And I, Thanks, like, I like the idea of subsidizing assistance. I, I do like that idea. So yeah. quick, 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 quick observation about, you know, being in person, the vibe at this year's in-person convention was the most positive. I think I've ever seen it mm -hmm. ever, ever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, even with, even with everyone getting COVID and all of that and the frustrations and the illness and everything, it was a very positive. It, vibe. It, 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 it was just such a positive vibe. And we all know that, you know, the, the lists, you know, have been less than that vibe. Okay. You take some of the same people that, you know, were going at each other on lists and put them together. And, and it, it was just incredible. I, I mean, I've never, uh, you know, the teamwork of everybody that worked on the convention, just across the board, it was just very, very positive. So um, even getting lost in that massive <laughs> convention area, <laughs> nobody yeah, was angry. Was, they were yeah. like, where am I? Where, where do I need to go? No, and nobody got angry at the cafe, uh -uh. which they had every reason to. You know, no, the cafe was, was just absolutely terrible. Yeah, but it was but, it was just you're right. Everybody was very <laughs> happy to be there. So Yeah, and no, it was it was um, it was incredible. It was very, very positive. So Okay, next hand. Next we have Melissa Hudson. Hi, Melissa. Melissa. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Mr. Morin and Jeff and Sheila and all the rest. <laughs> I think I'm unmuted. Can you hear me? You are. Uh -huh. Yes. Okay, good. Okay. Um, this is Melissa from Berrien, Washington. And I just want to give huge, huge kudos to Rick and the AV team for just making that, that hybrid convention such a big success. Um, I know there were some technical glitches, but despite that, you know, Dan talked, Dan Spoon talked about two words. He said, you know, patience and kindness. And you're absolutely right. I, even though I attended virtually, me and my roommate, I just witnessed the patience and the kindness that people um, had with each other, had for the tech people. I mean, just everybody was just so kind to each other. And I really just wanted to say, Rick, I just want to give you a huge virtual round of applause, you and your team, for doing a magnificent job and just for just being very patient with each other despite all the audio issues going on. And I did take the survey. I was one of the first to take it and I'm yeah, so happy. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> so I, God bless you. I appreciate that. And some people have actually told me that I was calm during that convention. Boy, they, they didn't seem. <laughs> there was one period of time where one of our, one of our, one of the, one of the microphones turned on accidentally in the booth. And I started getting texts saying, um, 
we're hearing Rick and he's not very happy right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> going out over the stream. So, but anyways, yeah. Thank you. Uh, you did a great one. job. Appreciate it. Thank you. Next. Ray Campbell. Oh, I bet you I know what Ray's going to talk about. No, 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 no. talk about the Florida convention. Oh, actually, <laughs> actually, uh, no, I, I, so I guess now we had our first hybrid convention in Illinois this uh, past end of April, beginning of May, and it went really well. Uh, and I think part of that, I, I know a large part of that was because we had Byron Lee on-site helping us. Um, and so, so I guess um, uh, this is, uh, I love some of the ideas that have been shared here about uh, subsidies and encouraging. By the way, we had the vast majority of our people were in person. And I think it was just really people wanted to get together. And by the way, you'll all want to come in person, of course, next year to Schaumburg, Illinois. But um, that all being said, um, what, at a minimum, what should an affiliate be prepared to purchase or have on hand to handle the on-site um, piece of a hybrid convention? Yeah, let, let me talk. Let me talk to that. The, uh, I mean, there's two real, you know, differentiators here. I mean, the audio, if it's audio only and video. The, the the prices can be crazy, but crazy, crazily different. But there's a lot of options in the video side where you can bring things down. But if you do, let's just talk audio only for a minute. Um, if you were doing an in-person only convention, um, you know, most likely you, you already had a mixer. You already were plugging into a sound system at the hotel. Um, if you were streaming, um, you know, you, you were bringing somebody in to do the streaming which usually meant that person was bringing in a computer and all that kind of stuff to do the streaming. Um, uh, to turn that, so, so you know, let's just call that fixed cost. You already had that fixed cost, okay? Um, so the incremental on top of that would be, uh, to do the hybrid piece would be, you know, some additional computers to be able to operate the Zoom meeting and some equipment that interfaces the computers to the mixer. Um, that's the basic difference on the audio side. Um, on video, um, one of the things that, that you know, I mean, the, the, the real, the most expensive thing about video, um, both nationally and I think at Florida too, was it, it's incredible that, you, you know, you usually get into these situations where you have to almost, you almost have no choice but to rent equipment from the you know, the on-site vendor, and a lot of times the on-site vendor is a third party, and they're in it to make money, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the and the big screen projectors, yeah, I mean, a, a video piece to make a video piece work, you need a camera and you need a screen, right? Uh, the camera piece you can get, you know, you you know, one of the things we did in Florida was we actually had um, Ryan Cordell who you know, uh, has deserves as much credit, if not more than any credit that I got both at the national, Absolutely. both at the national convention and in Florida. Um, you know, Ryan brought some of his own personal equipment in on the camera side and so on. But the, but the real big, you know, the real big piece that cost a ton of money there was, was that bloody, uh, large screen projector <laughs> TV. Okay. Now, now one of the things that, you know, we did at national convention to try to mitigate some of that was in the hybrid rooms. And, and I don't know how effective this was, but in the hybrid rooms, we had a 70 inch, um, television set. And, you know, admittedly, that's not as big as some of those other things, but if you're a low vision, I mean, we had low vision people that were walking up to the TV and standing by the TV, um, and a 70 inch, you know, TV screen is certainly better than any TV experience that you might have at home. Um, so, and, and, and that cost differential, that probably cost us 10% of what it would cost if we went large screen project, you know, large screen projectors in each one of those rooms. So, so the, the audio side, the increment, you know, so, so what we recommended to Florida, the first year they did a hybrid was we recommended that they buy uh, a mixer that we recommended, uh, you know, what we had been doing previously to, to the hybrid was, 
you know, we were relying on ACB media people to bring their own personal equipment in. And I have a real aversion to that because, you know, um, it, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, one of the things we did nationally when I first started getting involved in AV is we standardized all our equipment. Five minutes, uh, Jeff. You know, we, we standardized all our equipment. So, so, so anyways, that, that, yeah. All right. Thanks. That's great information. Thanks guys. Thank question, Appreciate right? it. All right. Next hand. We'll get in one more question here. Next hand is Doug. Doug. Okay. Doug Powell. Good evening. Um, we are a small affiliate and, um, you know, we get 30 people coming to a, to, you know, to a conference, you know, convention, uh, you know, for a day long conference. And, um, our, our budget is commensurate with that. Um, so I heard, uh, Sheila say something about 6,000 to $9,000 for, for equipment and for, uh, services to, to just put, uh, how many days does that? So, you know, in reality, if you're doing a one day, how, how much does it cost an affiliate to actually, uh, set, set the thing up and, and make it go? Oh, nowhere's near that, Doug. Nowhere's near that. Um, and Rick can answer that better than I can, but you would just have to make sure that you had the mixer and the uh, USB interface and the computer to connect it to, right, Rick? Yeah, I, I mean, Florida, we, you know, a, a big part of the expense in Florida was that large screen uh, projector TV that I was talking about. So, you know, uh, if you're talking 30 people, Doug, I, you know, I would never recommend that you go down that path. So, yeah. how, so how much is a mixer and how much is a USB with a thingamajiggy? <laughs> well, if, if you were to buy a mixer outright, you're talking about $300. The, um, the USB interface, another $200. Uh, you can rent stuff. You'd probably be spending as much money to rent it as you would be to buy it. Um, and of course, you know. And uh, you have to make sure your hotel will let you use your yeah, equipment and, with their And at the end of the day. So at the end of the day, you've got to have somebody that can operate it. Right. It's yeah. so, you know, you can hire, you know, AV staff, but I'd be happy to, um, you know, I, I, I've talked to a lot of AV companies at, at various hotels and, um, there's a lot of options on how to do stuff. And Doug, I'd be happy to work with you, uh, to, to, you know, look at what some of your options might be. You can do it, at, at, you know, much more inexpensively, but there will be some, some expense. Yes. One thing which we used to do in California is we would get, and we would pay them, but we would get someone from, say, one of the local universities, like a state university or whatever, who had, where, where they had a recording program, recording studio program, and we'd hire someone, and sometimes they'd stay for a few years and keep doing it one convention after another. Um, and, you know, and it would be a lot less expensive than having to farm it out to the a company that the hotel would use. Now, we're not doing it this time because things are more complicated, but there are ways of trying to do it on a, on a you know, more minimal, minimalist budget. So, yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, and Jeff, unfortunately, our hotel will not let us bring someone in other than telling That's them. Ours won't either. Yeah, you know, yeah. you have to use the excuse that we need someone who understands what we need as a blind organization to assist us in making sure everything is accessible to us. Then they let us bring someone in and bring our own equipment in, but we still have to use their AV company. Yeah. Negotiating uh, contracts at the hotel is very, very important. And uh, net, please never make AV the afterthought. Okay. No. Uh, don't, don't let AV be the boilerplate. If you, can't, if you cannot negotiate terms in, uh, on the AV side that allow you to bring in your own equipment, uh, you know, they may have some, some requirements of patch fees and that type of thing that you're, that you're going to, but if, if you can't get them to move off of that, then to me, that's a non-starter. I would, I would not place my business with that hotel. And never do Wi-Fi. Always do the. Always, always, always do wired internet. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. I wow. want to thank my <laughs> fantastic panelists, as well as uh, Rick Morin and Sheila Young, as well as all of you who listened in tonight and who asked questions. Um, we really appreciate all of you and stay tuned for our next offering on the 8th of September. So with that, uh, I wish you all a pleasant rest of your evening.